Between 250 and 300,000 men and women from New York City served in the U.S. Armed Forces during the Vietnam War. 1,741 of them lost their lives. Their names are displayed at Vietnam Veterans Memorial Plaza in Lower Manhattan. Good morning. I'm George Borarki, and this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. Last year, President Obama said the Vietnam War is a story of service members of different backgrounds, colors, and creeds who came together to complete a daunting mission. A new book tells the stories of a number of the New York City residents who served in Vietnam. It's called Bringing It All Back Home, an oral history of New York City's Vietnam veterans. The author is Philip Napoli. He's an assistant professor of history at Brooklyn College, where he directs the Veterans Oral History Project. Philip, thanks for joining me on Cityscape. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. As I mentioned, you are an assistant professor of history at Brooklyn College. How much do young people today know and understand about Vietnam? Not a lot. Uh, It's not covered in high school textbooks. It's not covered in high school history courses. And it's 40 years ago. So it's it's fading into the the mists of, of myth and and memory and uh, so one of my jobs here is to is to try to make it a little more alive for both students and the general public. So you were what a teenager when veterans returned to the United States? That's precisely right. Um, I was 15 in 1975 when the war ended. I didn't have any desire to join the military myself. I'm not a military person. Um, by 1975, the military was largely out of favor in the United States. I went on to college. But nevertheless, there was a, a, a group of uh, veterans that were my mom's students, and I got to know some of them in that way. How much do you remember yourself of Vietnam as a teen? A lot. Um, I watched the television news like everybody did. We watched it more intensely as the, as the years passed. By 1968 and 1969, it was the staple of evening news um, diet. And I was fairly politically aware for a little kid doesn't mean I understood it terribly well. But I was paying attention, and it resonated pretty deeply with me personally. Why did you decide to focus on Vietnam veterans from New York City Uh, specifically? It's a really good question. One reason to do it is that Vietnam veterans from New York represent a very diverse group. Um, In New York City, you can find veterans of Puerto Rican descent, Italians, people from the islands, um, Jews. It's a wide and diverse group. Um, of all class backgrounds as well as ethnic backgrounds. So that's a, that's a kind of phenomenon you're not going to find in, say, eastern Kentucky or Cincinnati, where I grew up. Um, they're going to be much more, oh, I don't know how to put it exactly, but sort of unified in their, in their um, background. There's that. And then there's the numbers. Um, there are today approximately 80,000 Vietnam-era veterans living in New York City. If Vietnam-era veterans were an immigrant group, they'd be the ninth largest in the city. Hmm. They're a very powerful um, uh, demographic group, and it seemed to me that they deserve study as an independent group, just as we might study, oh, let's just imagine, um, Korean New Yorkers, so that, that that too provides a justification for focusing on the city. Uh, furthermore, that they, I believe they have powerfully shaped the city in a variety of ways. I mean, if you think about it one way, you could say there are 80,000 Vietnams walking around in people's heads on the city streets. But they, too, gave us the Vietnam Memorial Wall on 55 Water Street. They uh, serve in public office all around the city. Um, they are community activists, many of them, um, so that they are part and parcel of the fabric of the city. How many veterans who survived, who are here in New York City today, have you talked with so far? 
about 175 uh, uh, veterans and about t- a total of 215 or so interviews. Was it easy to earn their trust to talk with you? You know, it depends on the individual. Um, some people didn't want to talk to me. I'm a, a middle-class, white academic, and that excludes me from some people's perspectives. On the other hand, um, there were uh, a fair number, a significant number, who were willing to share their stories. How to earn trust is actually a difficult and complicated issue. Um, I think it per- personally think it starts and, and ends with being honest and open and fulfilling your commitments. And I really tried to do that. How did you locate them in the first place? I first went to Vietnam Veterans of America, Chapter 72 in Brooklyn, where a number of the veterans there were very kind to me. Um, That's the best way to put it. Uh, Luigi Masu, a good friend, Dwayne Paulson, a number of others were willing to take a chance and talked with me and through word of mouth, referred me to other people. They said Napoli actually fulfills his agreements. He's not out to take us for a ride. He's not out to embarrass us. He's not a journalist. Um, And that snowballing led from one person to another. How easy was it for these veterans? I would imagine it's, again, an individual thing, but how easy was it as a whole for these individuals to talk about their experiences, to revisit what they experienced in Vietnam? For some... Um, it was an extraordinarily painful journey. Uh, there's more than one person who told me that talking to me was the spur to get back into post-traumatic stress disorder so that it could be difficult. Uh, f- for others, they've, they've managed to compartmentalize or, or place the, the story of Vietnam in the past, and it wasn't so difficult. I do long-form interviews so that typically uh, my interviews lasted between two and five hours. Some of the interviews... Recorded interviews last 25 and 30 hours. Um, in those longer interviews, it can be really hard because I'm looking for the deep details and the deep memories that have sometimes never been told. Um, and getting at that material, um, which I think forms the heart of, of my work and my book, um, uh, cost them something. But they were willing to go there with me. You'll, you'll meet some of them. For some of those individuals, was this the first time that they opened up Absolutely. about Vietnam? unquestionably so. But for others, it's a, it's, a, it's a well-told story. And even for those who have told the story many times, sometimes they went to places they don't go uh, ordinarily with their family or with their friends. With me, because I was doing my best to listen carefully um, and be, oh, I don't know how better to put it, but so be present with them as they revisited those old and dark places. For those that didn't talk about it until they talked to you, why did they keep those feelings, those emotions, those thoughts to themselves for so many years? It's a whole range of reasons, naturally enough, but not the, But one of the most significant ones is the idea that Vietnam veterans are somehow diseased or, or, or um, uh, pariahs in our culture, and they're, they're, their experiences are not wanted. They're not uh, welcome. One of the men, um, Neil Kenny, describes uh, being told by his family that they don't want to hear what he has to say. Um, so the families can shut people down. The veterans organizations at the time in the 1970s sometimes were not welcoming to Vietnam veterans. The VA itself, of course, had a terrible reputation in the 1970s, all of which tended to close down the ability to tell stories. So they bottle these things up and keep them. I think it was Neil Kenny who was not diagnosed with PTSD until, what, 26 years after Vietnam? That's right, Am I right? 1995. That's correct. Is that typical? Uh, it, I think it actually is. Um, many men, as they move through their lives and toward retirement, uh, begin to discover in themselves 
issues and problems that they hadn't associated or uh, attached to their Vietnam War experiences. And as they get older, they begin to see the connections backwards over time. So it's not uncommon for men going into retirement age to, to rediscover some of the meaning and power of the Vietnam era experiences. And sometimes that it means um, going for assistance and getting post-traumatic stress disorder treatment. A lot of us, especially those of a certain age, I think, have this image of Vietnam veterans returning to the U.S. being scorned and spat upon. But that wasn't necessarily the case for all of the veterans who returned. Absolutely not the case for everyone. But it certainly was enough um, to the, 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 you know, the spitting story is a, is a controversial one. Some insist that it really happened and others say that it probably never did. There is enough evidence to indicate that veterans did not feel welcome. On the other hand, there are plenty of stories of in which men really did feel welcomed home um, or found in their communities and in their families um, a, a sense of acceptance. Now, there were trends that you noticed as far as the lines of work that individuals went into. A lot of them went into public service jobs, correct? One fashion or another. Um, I think that's right. Uh, there were firefighters, lots of firefighters and police officers and so on. Um, uh, I, I believe that, in fact, Vietnam veterans and veterans, broadly speaking, have a sense of social commitment that many of us who are civilians don't necessarily share. Um, I have a little theory about this that, has, that suggests that um, having mixed their sweat and blood with the fabric of the country, they feel a kind of commitment um, to the greater, the greater good that I find extraordinary. Are you still collecting interviews for this project? This project is complete. Um, I'm now moving on to the post-9-11 veterans. I'm, hmm. um, I'm interested in, in their story and offering a comparison between uh, the Vietnam veterans and the, the men and women who are coming home now. I'm convinced that um, there's a, that one profound difference between the two groups. One is that um, the men and women who have served after 9-11 are very often... Um, Members of uh, you know have have families themselves. So these are there's a um, these men and women relatively young, 20, nineteen and twenty when they went to Vietnam. Um, our soldiers today are a little bit older, um, having graduated from high school and many times gone gone to college. And so there's a, there's that difference to explore. Would you recommend that Iraq and Afghanistan veterans read this book? Are there oh, things in here to learn from for them? I believe so. Um, I believe so profoundly, here, and I would c distill it this way. The men and women who've done the best for themselves, who've succeeded most, um, um, succeeded most, are the people who found a community or made a community for themselves. They've allowed people to get to know them. Um, that provided an, uh, an avenue and access um, to a wider social circle. The, the problem comes from isolation, and isolation is not healthy. That's what these Vietnam veterans have taught us. The book is Bringing It All Back Home, An Oral History of New York City's Vietnam Veterans. Philip, thank you so much for coming in. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Philip Napoli is an assistant professor of history at Brooklyn College, where he also directs the Veterans Oral History Project. His new book is called Bringing It All Back Home, An Oral History of New York City's Vietnam Veterans. You can listen to a longer interview with Philip on our website, wfuv.org slash cityscape. You're tuned to Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. I'm George Boldarki. One of the Vietnam veterans Philip Napoli introduces us to in his book is Anthony Wallace, 
Wallace was working for Con Edison when he was drafted. He still works for the utility today. Wallace says it's important for folks like him to talk about what a soldier endures in battle. He recently shared his experience with me. So when you landed in Vietnam, what was that like? When you landed in Vietnam, first of all, I left for Vietnam in January of 1970, early, as a matter of fact, uh, I believe on my birthday, uh, January 2nd. And when we left from McGuire Air Force Base, which is right next door to Fort Dix, it was snowing. And um, they loaded us on a DC-8, and it was like a stretch version of that plane carried close to 200 passengers, and um, nothing but young men going to Vietnam, some for a second tour. We were cheering when the snow was coming down because we felt that maybe the plane wouldn't take off. Mm. And it took off, and to our dismay, and 26 hours later, we were in Vietnam. And when they opened the plane doors, the heat was the first sensation, And your body was in Vietnam, but your mind was still at Fort Dix Mm. in the snow. So it was a it was an awakening. It was a rude awakening that you were in Vietnam so rapidly. What role, Tony, did you play in Vietnam? Were you on the front lines? I was on the front lines. I I was a squad leader. I was a a sergeant, an E5. Um, Basically, you led a, a, a group of of young men, anywhere between 7 to 10, 12 men. And your responsibility was to make sure that they um, followed through when we were out in the bush. We were out in the bush, uh, in the jungle, every day. How were you received when you returned to New York City from Vietnam? Open arms, or were you a villain? Because we know that... Many veterans returning from Vietnam felt that they were looked down upon. They were disgraced. I had the, 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 the nerve at that point to go back to school, the summer session at Brooklyn College. I got to school one evening and psychology class, and a young, young student said something to me, you're a Vietnam veteran. He said ugly things about what I did in Vietnam. And the professor heard him. And the professor lashed into him. And in essence told him, you will never realize what this young man has done for you and this nation. And told him, I never want you to say anything to him again about being a Vietnam veteran. It it, it was a difficult time. What helped me to get through, of course, was my family and then uh, members of the church. Looking back, Tony, how do you feel about the war in Vietnam, knowing what you know now? Not being on the front lines, but looking back as an American citizen. Looking back, I'm sad because of, of the loss of life. And when I talk about the loss of life, I'm talking about the loss of life for America. I'm talking about the loss of life for Vietnam. Uh, And then other nations, sometimes people don't realize that uh, people from other nations fought too. And you think about 
all of those names. I think about the soldiers. I, I know at least, I can see the names and the faces of at least 15 young men that I knew that did not come home alive. So when I think about it, it makes me sad. But at the same time, you can't, you can't dwell on it to the extent that you're going to let it pull you down. I can understand veterans that won't talk about it. I can understand veterans that have had difficulty with um, perhaps drugs and alcohol. I can understand it. But I would not allow that to, to pull me down. Uh, I decided that I was going to attempt to help people to understand when you send people in harm's way, there's a price to be paid. Uh, that you're asking that person to perhaps give up their lives. But then once you go through it, you're not going to forget it. And is that why you're here? Is that why it's important for you to talk about it with Absolutely. me? Absolutely. Absolutely. People have to understand. They have to know that war is not good for human beings. Um, we have to be ready to help those young men and now young women who are coming back who fought and Iraq, and coming back from Afghanistan, we have to be ready and willing to support and strengthen them with what they're going to be going through. I became a volunteer at the Vietnam Veterans Memorial. When I can, I go down to Washington, and I serve at that wall, and I help people to find names. I make sure that if they have questions, I can help them to understand. And one of the things that they will ask you, the first thing they ask you, are you a Vietnam veteran? They want to they qualify you first to be able to help them find something at the wall. Then the second thing, then you deal with veterans. I've met so many veterans, Vietnam veterans, that are there for the first time. And if you're, you're a Vietnam veteran, you can identify with them. And sometimes you don't have to say anything. All it takes is a hug. And they know that you understand what they have gone through. And especially if they were in a line unit. And the other thing I, I, I want people to understand is that line units did not have problems with racism. You know, if you, if you, got, if you have a brother and, and, and a Latino and a Native American. I had a, a Native American who was my point man. And Blue, I don't know Blue's real name. We called him Blue. He was from Arizona. Blue, I would say, was the best point man you would ever have. And Blue did not converse a lot. He was very quiet. But when we walk point, he's the best person you would want to have out there. And so when I talk about the diversity of what my squad was, I had Lopez, I had a young man from Panama, another brother from Detroit, his name was Evans. And then, believe it or not, a young man from Florida, George Washington. And George Washington was my tallest man, and so we had to dig the bunkers deep enough for George to fit in. So um, we had no problems dealing with one another because you were helping to protect 
each other. They had your back, and I had theirs. Tony, thank you so much for coming in, and thank you for your service. Thank you, sir. You can hear more war stories from Tony Wallace at WFUV.org slash cityscape. Last year, President Obama declared March 29th a day of remembrance for Vietnam veterans. But that was just for that year. March 29th is the day the last U.S. troops returned from Vietnam. Several states have passed legislation permanently proclaiming that day Vietnam Veterans Day. But Vietnam veteran and Staten Island resident Lester Modelowitz says it's not enough. He says March 29th should be known as Vietnam Veterans Day nationally on a permanent basis. I recently talked with Lester on the phone. He told me that his memories of the war are still very vivid. There are times that, uh, that you know, I uh, don't want to remember, and there are times that I do. I, there were, I have happy memories from the war. I have, of course, I have a lot of sad memories from the war. And, you know, it's just uh, sometimes it could be very, very... Uh, overwhelming for me, but uh, you know, I managed to get through with you know having my my children, my grandchildren, and everything. What was your role in the war? Well, I was trained uh, basically in supply and as a weapons mechanic. Uh, but uh, uh, all the money the the government spends on it, I never worked at that at all. I was an armorer for for about three weeks, and uh, I was with a helicopter unit, and and then uh, there were all kinds of different transfers going on uh, within Vietnam, and I ended up I got transferred out, and and I was sent to an artillery unit where I was basically in transportation for the uh, unit. I know, Lester, that you want Vietnam veterans to have a special day of recognition. Why is that important to you? Well, I mean, I've been working on it now for seven years. Uh, I started basically, uh, oh, about six years, I started uh, within the state. Uh, I found out about uh, 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 many veterans throughout the country in various states who were trying to get legislation for March 29th Vietnam Veterans Day. And I put together a, a letter and a, a proclamation similar to what was going around the country, and I, I mailed it off to Senator Andrew Landry here in Staten Island. And about three days later, uh, Senator Landry called me personally, and he said, Lester, I got your letter, and I read the whole thing, and we're going to uh, make a push on it. And this was September, and uh, unfortunately, the the holidays were coming up. But in uh, the fall, in February, uh, I received a call from his um, staffer up in Albany, and he said that the the bill is in committee. And it was it was approved by the state assembly and by all the Senate, and it's just a matter of being signed at that time by the governor. The bill specifically does what, Lester? Well, the bill, the bill, uh, the New York State bill, uh, simply specified that March 29th be known as a patriotic day for Vietnam veterans day within New York State. Now, for those not familiar with why that date is important, why is March 29th important? Well, March 29th was the official day that the Vietnam War ended in 1974. So now, officially in New York State, it is Vietnam Veterans Day on March 29th. Correct. How many states have that type of recognition? Right now, I'd say somewhere around 25, 28 Actually, the last one that I, the last two that I know of, uh, Texas and Alaska, got legislation. But you want this to happen on the national level permanently, right? 
Yes, I've been involved with a, a number of Vietnam veterans. Well, one specifically, uh, we never met. We just uh, through email. His he lives in Ohio. His name is Ray, and uh, we've been working on it uh, together. And there have been uh, a number of bills that have come up, and there was some discrepancy um, in a date. There were there was. In California, they were pushing for the 28th, which was the wrong date, 28th of March. But uh, that has changed now. Uh, in February of this of 2013, uh, Senator Burr from, I believe, North Carolina, introduced a bill, a Senate bill, with Senate Bill 409, uh, recommending that March 29th be known as a patriotic holiday. And uh, it was co-sponsored by, I believe, Barbara Boxer in California, but it, it still hasn't really gone anywhere. And uh, as recent as uh, just past May, May 23rd, I believe, uh, Congressman Grimm here in, New- in Staten Island, New York, um, proposed a bill, a House resolution, actually, in the United States Congress, which is a House Resolution 235, stating that March 29th, be known as a Vietnam Veterans Day, as a patriotic day of remembrance. You're not talking about a holiday. You don't no. want everybody to stop what they're doing, right? No, no, we don't want a holiday. We don't want a, uh, a holiday will never happen. All we want is a day that Vietnam veterans can call their own. And a day to reflect, right? And a day to remember as generations go on, I'm sure. Yes, uh, I, I guess, okay, we all do remember, we, we sit back uh, on Veterans Day and we, we remember all veterans that served in all wars. And, and, uh, and, and the same thing, uh, when we're all, we, reflect on, we reflect on the ones that are no longer with us. But uh, Vietnam veterans, it's, it's been so hard for so many of them uh, adjusting through the years that there are some that uh, uh, have never come to terms with the war. Uh, I mean, I, I was able myself to, to do that, but there are so many that uh, uh, they can't tell us anymore because they're no longer with us. Well, they, they, they just they can't do it. They don't. They they, they want to keep it to themselves. And and it, so, but if we have a, a day of our own, it, it'll be a special day, and I think it'll bring a lot of more Vietnam veterans out of the closet, so to say. And potentially to seek out services if even till today they're dealing with things like PTSD and not stepping forward, right? Correct. Lester, thank you so much for your time and thank you so much for your service. Thank you very much. Lester Modelowitz is a member of the Disabled American Veterans and the Vietnam Veterans of America, where he's the second vice president of Chapter 421. He lives on Staten Island. In 1982, New York City Mayor Ed Koch established a 100-member commission to create a memorial that would reflect the conflicting emotions of the Vietnam War. Koch himself was a World War II veteran, and even though he opposed the Vietnam War, he led the first major welcome home parade for Vietnam veterans, a day after the memorial was first lit up. Radio producer Zach Hirsch recently talked with people visiting the memorial. From that time, from like 1970, 75, I was in college. So basically I was trying to keep stay in school, keep my grades high enough, otherwise probably get drafted. There was a draft back then. Nobody really wanted to go. But it's a tough year to be hitting that age, you know, of adulthood. You know, while it was going on, 
me as a kid, I I didn't know that much about it. But then, the, you know, when all the, the movies started to come out and the, all the media depictions of it, and then I was at a I was in my teens then even. So, uh, you know, one of those experiences make you think, okay, I'm really glad I wasn't there. I'm really glad we weren't there. I was opposed to the war in Vietnam when it happened. Uh, well, because I was more to the left than I am now. And, and it was probably a big mistake. More to the left than now? Where are you at now? I'm very conservative. I was for the war in Iraq. We got rid of this murdering bad guy. And who knows what's going to happen in Afghanistan if we're not there. There are a lot of people who think that the, you know, today's war is a lot like Vietnam. Well... I, I believe in American power. Democratic strong powers have to exert their influence. And the democratic strong power in the world is the United States. Body count, I, you know, I can remember weeks where the body count was three or 400 dead a week. You know, in the 60s and early 70s. You know what was going on over there. Nobody really wanted to go. It wasn't really like a full-fledged war. So it's just like, you know, implanted on my psyche, Vietnam. Vietnam Veterans Memorial Plaza is located at 55 Water Street in Manhattan. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. For longer versions of the interviews you heard on this morning's show, plus an interview with Joe Graham, the president of the Manhattan chapter of Vietnam Veterans of America, visit wfuv.org cityscape. Remember to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for Cityscape updates. We're listed on both as WFUV Cityscape. My thanks to senior producer Morlene Chin and thanks to Zach Hirsch for his contribution to this morning's show. I'm George Boraki. Have a great weekend. <laughs>